0: Applications for the Techstars Tech Central Sydney Accelerator Class of 2024 are closing on the 22nd of May. I'm Kirsten Hunter, the Managing Director of Techstars Sydney, and I'm looking for diverse and unstoppable founders who are using technology to solve the world's biggest problems to join this accelerator cohort. The 12 successful businesses will get access to our 13-week mentor-driven accelerator, $120,000 US investment, and access to the Techstars network for life. Head to our Accelerator webpage to learn more and to apply.
1: Hi, I'm Adam Spencer, founder of the Day One Network, which is bringing the history of the Australian startup ecosystem to you. I believe in founders. It's why I do everything I do at Day One and our media company, W2D1 Media. And that's why the Day One Network exists, to create helpful content for founders. We've got some great shows in development. But a large part of what we do couldn't be done without support from our partners and sponsors. And I couldn't be happier than to be working with NTP, who get community better than any other technology recruitment company out there. Our Newcastle company, like mine, NTP are invested in seeing the growth of the local tech community in Newcastle, Sydney, and more broadly, Australia. So thank you, NTP, for helping us bring helpful content to founders and the startup community in Australia.
0: On the episode today, we have my name's Hayden Williams, and I'm one of the lead product managers at MYOB.
1: What does kind of day to day look like for you as senior product manager?
0: Yeah, sure. So, in essence, I work with a group of really smart, really you know, really capable people. And it's, our, and it's leading them as my main job and our collective job is to really decide, well, in terms of how we go about solving customer problems in the market, like, well, what are we going to do next? Like, what's the next thing that we want to work on? And so we're in the product world at MYB very much the what do we build and why are we building it? What are the problems that we're solving? And then we work with our then we work with our colleagues in tech to really work out the how are we going to build it and when are we going to take it out to out to market. So that's really the crux of the role is like what do, at MYB, what are we going to build next? You know, why are we doing it and what problems do we think we'll solve for customers in the marketplace by doing that?
1: Okay. Yeah. That, that, that helps me. I mean, I'm, I'm a student and I'm always learning and the whole senior product manager thing, I don't really understand what, what's going on there and what you guys do. <laughs> Obviously apart from, you know, building and helping to build the product.
0: Yeah. It's a like product management one of those weird, like dark arts. Cause everyone's got a different definition of like, well, what, what exactly does that mean? Hmm. But at the end of the day, it, what it all, what good product management boils down to, is just like, are you, you know, if you only have a dollar, where are you placing your next bet in terms of where you put your, you know, development resource? That's that's what it ultimately boils down to.
1: And, and to lead into the the next question, like startups founders, mm. what percentage of of the customer base are you know people that are working for startups?
0: Yes, and NYB's customer base. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's probably and startup and like digital startups as you'd like as you classify them it's probably around about 25 percent right and then the the majority being you know you're more traditional industry based yeah you know small small to small to medium businesses
1: so so for that that 25 percent startup kind of base what was your first exposure to that whole world how did you get introduced to
0: it yeah well it actually predates myob so like i've kind of been around the well and i'll use and i'll I'll go into the small business sort of ecosystem initially and then go into the into the startup world but my first exposure to the small business ecosystem was i've been around the small business world for about 15 years now so i'm 34 so that's most of my working life wow and so I started in telco. So you probably tell by the accent I'm originally from New Zealand uh, and I was working in, uh, in New Zealand in a retail store and, uh, for spark. So similar to Telstra here. And I was, I was working in, you know, consumer, uh, mass market retail. And this, um, this guy comes in, his name's Paul Beswick and he was starting a company called dynamic eyewear. And he wanted, uh, he wanted help setting up a landline and a toll free number and all of those things. And in the stores, we didn't normally do that stuff, but you know, got to got to talking with him and he was telling me about his business and what he was doing to get it set up and and i was like i was completely fascinated i was like this wide-eyed kid like whoa you can do that um like i wasn't one of those kids that grew up in the back of a shop like i i really didn't have much of a concept of like what small business was certainly not what it took to to start one and, and and understanding what motivated people to do it but hearing about what he was how he was putting it on the line to go out on his own and to do things the way that he think that they should be done in in his industry, which was eyewear, I was I was like really like energized and inspired. I was like, Whoa, this is rad. This is like so much more um energizing and interesting than selling mobile phones to kids so uh like i i moved into at in that gig i moved into the small business part of that company and i've, I've been in small business ever since um and i've really kind of been addicted to the small business and, and startup community for you know for that time so that's you know 15 years and as far as like startups and like the truest sense, probably my first experience was uh, actually a pre MYB as well. It was a friend of mine bringing me to this meetup in Melbourne, maybe like 2010. Mm. He was this guy I went to school with from, from. he was from Washington and he'd spent time in the valley. So he was like this really cool guy that was ahead of the game back then. And he'd brought these people together and it was in this cafe in the city and there were, maybe 20 people there in total and maybe eight of those actually had something that they were working on that they were doing a little presentation and were looking for feedback on their idea or their product and it, it was that same feeling of like fascination and admiration and that 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 rush of like a couple of people getting together and smashing ideas into each other and and and, and sort of seeing that that change and that evolution almost in real time. And it felt like this ragtag, like scrappy bunch of outsiders, misfits that were trying to take on the world. And, you know, I, I think that that was my first, uh, that was my first exposure to startup to startup land. And that was uh, pretty close to when I joined NYOB. And throughout my whole time at NYB, I've, I've pretty, I've stayed reasonably like active in meeting with founders and, you know, sharing those ideas. And, you know, I, I really think that, um, you know, there is still that scrappiness and that edginess, uh, that those startups have like, you know, 10 years later, um, even though it's sort of very much in the, in the mainstream, but that was, yeah that was the distinct first memory I have of the, the Australian startup economy.
1: Wow. That's pretty early on too, two thousand and ten. A lot of the conversations I've had with, with people kind of puts the date around two thousand and twelve is when things really started to ramp up and, and there was definitely meetups and, you know, cafes, pubs, whatever, and, and just at like meetup kind of events happening before then, but two thousand and ten is is pretty early.
0: Yeah, like I, I would, I would never have known anything about it if it wasn't for Jeremy, this guy who was like, "Hey, we're doing a, we're doing it," and he called it by its name. He's like, "We're doing a meetup," and I'm like, "I've got no idea what that is, but it sounds cool. Count me in."
1: So, 2010, you, you've been in your current role or thereabouts for I just looked before eight,
0: eight and a half years, or something. Um, coming up, coming up to I'm over 11 years now. Oh wow, yeah, no, coming up 12 years. My LinkedIn's just I'm terrible at updating my LinkedIn.
1: So that was that does date it perfectly, like right about that 2010 time you joined myob.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was like maybe a few months, like maybe three or four months before I joined. Before I joined myob, how did that? How did that happen?
1: Just so that give us give us some context so that when we start talking about myob's early days and in a second, it all makes sense to people listening.
0: Yeah, so I I kind of I joined myob almost by mistake <laughs> so i was working in uh, i was working in that telco in in sales and i was looking for it look i needed to get out of sales because i was a bit burnt out and i was looking for a I was looking for a gig that i could do for a little while before um going on and uh, going on the oe to to canada for a for a you know year-long holiday in canada you mm. know when you which you, you know which as one does in your 20s uh-huh. and um <laughs> And then, so I started this, I, so I started this gig working at NYB in like a, you know, in a, in a, in a service job. And the same thing happened that happened to me when I f- had that first conversation with Paul and when I met those, you know, those early stage founders in the, in the cafe, it was, I just like, I just fell in love with it again and I couldn't get out, <laughs> And um, and I've worked in I've worked across a bunch of different roles in myb across a variety of you know parts of parts of the business everything from tech to product to marketing to customer success like you, you name it I've done it um, but yeah that that's that's really how I how I got started uh, was just looking for looking for a job going hey I'm in small business now it'd be a nice easy transition only looking for something to do for about six months or so that turned into coming up twelve years.
1: So you joined MyOB in around 2010, but around you know 20 years earlier, a couple three guys in a garage were building what would be MyOB. We talked about a bit about this before we hit record, but can you just give us a little bit of a look into what that was like for them, or just just from your point of view, just from what you've heard?
0: Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Like it was, it was one. It's like one of the classic sort of i think australian startup stories like you know we, we talk we talk about it at nyb that like we're one of the og startups you know like definitely one of the definitely one of the earliest ones yeah certainly one of the best tenured and um it was the you know it was a it was the same story as you as you hear so often it is just a couple of founders that are starting a business from a garage that are trying to solve a really specific problem that they're really that they're really close to uh and really that it grows legs and it sort of almost gets away gets away from them and they're just trying to sort of hold on for hold on for dear life so that was kind of the you know through the through the 90s that was that first stage of um of myb's life i think that myb's been through i I would classify three big kind of evolutions so like when myb started out it was very much about enabling small businesses to do accounting you know there were a handful of kind of money management products that were out there, but you know universally accepted to be pretty terrible and and really having a, a real tool that you could use to to manage the books was like a pretty novel thing uh in the industry but really, what it was about that. Uh, idea of enabling small business accounting you could you could mount the argument that the small business and the accountant were actually competing for the same business around that kind of you know record keeping data entry like really core compliance stuff Mm. so like that was kind of i think the first age of myb was very much about you know that that enabling small businesses to do their own accounts which they couldn't really do before certainly couldn't do easily And then the next big evolution I would say would be when we really started to build tools that helped accounting practices to work more closely with the small business. So rather than the small business does it or the accountant does it, actually, really starting to facilitate that relationship, and I, I think MYB really sort of started that client accountant ecosystem, uh, which is still which is still evolving today. And that, and I think that we really doubled down on that in around 2004 when Solution Six joined MYB, which provides um, tools for practices to manage their practice and to and to work with SMEs. That was 04. Then the next big evolution, I think, is where we really started to become an online business, and that's about eight years later. That's getting into about two thousand twelve. So, but that's that's really where I think that we probably learned the most lessons as as a company, and, and that was also uh, you know not long after I joined myb. So, like I'll I'll talk about those those lessons in a sec because I think they are pretty valuable and the third really big evolution or the fourth sort of age of MYB is the is the one that we're in now which is trying to actually become less about the accounting software and more about being a, a platform that small businesses can and, and startups can use to really manage their business and it's a subtle but a subtle and nuanced but really important shift in in terms of the lessons that i've mentioned around like transitioning to being a, a, an online business i i think the biggest thing that's allowed us to keep uh, up with you know the, the the changing nature of the the market that we participate in one of the biggest lessons we learned was probably how big an impact culture has and i I know that it's like a cliched thing to say like oh everything's culture but (laughs) like man is it like man is it true like when we first got into online software we thought okay let's build the same software with the same people and you put it online rather than on a local machine and that's that's online software right like surely Mm -hmm. um but as we all know now like being a SaaS business like is so much more than that like it's not even about having your products in a browser or or on a recurring like subscription that that's it's not that it's like it's the customer expectations that come with having a SaaS product that was the thing that really went overlooked uh, that really was overlooked i think and that's ease of use performance stability the service experience how you communicate with your customers you know we really underestimated that i think and i think a lot of startups do today as well and and that all that all starts with people and that's everyone that's everyone in the organization needs to have that understanding of the purpose of the company what what problems is it solving for customers how like how is it different you know you need to have great customer empathy and you need to be hungry for change and restless with the status quo. Like that's a, that's a collective mindset thing. You know that's not something that you change with a company memo. That's not something that you decide that you know is going to happen when you want to move from being a desktop business to an online business. In in Myob's case, that's a a fundamental altering of the cultural bedrock of of many businesses, uh, especially businesses the size of uh, Myob. And uh, I think that we properly understand that now, and we're making really good headway. But you know, understanding what it takes to be a, a SaaS business and, and the customer expectations that come with that, and the the changing nature of those expectations, like and really doing it, that cultural shift is the you know is the is certainly the one that's uh, the one that's been the biggest lesson that we've learned. How are
1: you and you know your team and the other teams at MoB, you know, approaching that, tackling that? trying to get it across the entire organization how how is that happening
0: yeah well i think it's i think it's i think the biggest thing that is what we talked about around being really clear on your purpose mm. and being really clear on like and who is the customer that you're going that you're going after here like we've been pretty you know in the past we've been a little bit ambiguous it's kind of been like you know we build accounting software and it's kind of like okay cool well, what, what what does that mean like what do you do with that mm. and so mm. being able to actually really articulate like to both the people inside MYOB and the people outside of MYOB. Like that's you know what what are we actually like being really clear on what do we do and what do we want to help you to do? I think is I think is really important.
1: If I can ask, what what is that? What is you've got really clear on that? What is that thing now that you do?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we we create tools that help that help businesses and startups to, to, to really run their business.
1: Yeah. Right. So that is that shift that's more that, to a platform. Yeah.
0: That's that, that's that distinction. Yeah. You know, like, um, and, and the the difference really is that, um, accounting software is very much a, a consequence of being in business versus the tools that we want to build are those that actually help you to run your business and to be more prosperous and to, you know, to, to really get on top of, you know, the things that, you know, you, that you use to run the business so that the business doesn't end up running you around. So that's being able to keep on top of cash flow, being able to get invoices out the door, being able to get the staff paid, all that, all that stuff. Like that's the other tools that we build.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you're in the this fourth age now, whereas you described it, trying to be less about the software and more about the platform and, and helping the businesses and the business owners. How do you keep up? How do you kind of Keeping up with the market and the change in expectations of customers moving forward.
0: Yeah, I think that what I talked about earlier around the, the cultural piece is still the most important piece to that question as well. Like because that's really about caring and being attentive to the market. Like if you don't have that and you don't have the motivations, you don't really have much to go on. Yeah. Um, in practical terms though, like keeping up with the marketplace, there's a couple of there's a couple of changes that we've made that I think have been pretty um pretty monumental. Um, the, the first is um, really breaking down how we deliver product to market. So we used to have these big, heavy annual product cycles with really rigid roadmaps, and mm. you know you'd have anywhere from quarterly to annual releases that would go against these big annual plans. Mm and anyone that's listening that's worked in software companies over the last 20 years probably is rolling their eyes going oh, i know exactly what that feels like <laughs> you know whereas now it's very much about you know breaking that down into smaller chunks that are just more manageable and mean that you can deliver faster so now we plan in 90-day cycles uh, and we constantly replan within those uh, 90 days so that that means that we get to kind of look up and out of the business at like what's actually going on in the market the industry government etc and make sure we're really getting the lay of the land and capturing those customer needs much more frequently mm. um which sounds like really obvious when you say it but it's um the more exposure i get to more businesses the more i learn that that is a that is a a thing that's really underserved pretty much universally mm. um that's really helped with making sure that our you know the, our releases and the stuff that we're building like really will meet the need out there in the in the marketplace and then rather than those big quarterly or annual release cycles, like we're releasing multiple times each week now, which is um, which is huge because it allows us to not just get the value in the hands of customers much more faster and in a way that's easier for them to digest, you know. Like, you know, how often do you read the release notes of something when you get an update, right? Like probably not that often. So it's really important that you're not releasing, you know, a hundred things all at once and then asking anyone to read War and Peace every time that you release, a you know, a new version, <laughs> like it's... You got to make sure that you're releasing small changes that people can understand, can get the value. You got to do that. You got to do that regularly. Mm. Otherwise, people just go TLDR, yeah. <laughs> just ne- and never never understand. You know, never understand the value that you're doing. And it's a if a tree falls in the forest and no one's around to hear it, kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I love this glimpse behind the curtain of how you guys are thinking.
0: Yeah, it's um I I it's so much I can tell you like having having been on both sides of it like it really is it really is a pretty profound shift and it takes a while to translate to the to the to the real results that you're having out in market but we're really seeing good shoots of that now and I'm 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 really stoked with how the the teams are the, with how the teams are going and it's starting to be be received really well in the in the marketplace one of the like other interesting things in terms of like how we are keeping up with the like landscape is actually like how we're helping to shape it now which i think is another big shift Mm. Uh, especially in partnership with the government and that's both in uh, australia and new zealand like the government the governments uh, in both countries have been pretty proactive in recent years around digitization of um, themselves and their agencies and business more broadly and uh, initiatives like single touch payroll and Superstream and e-invoicing and sbr like all, all of these government initiatives really around digitization and digital adoption like really have or will uh, help to streamline these businesses by like cutting down the shuttling around of data and the manual data entry in human error. and so i think that they're really great initiatives and it's great to see those you know being um you know put into market in, in a really strong way by the government um and then, you know, we're also working with the government to like champion the needs of small business and the the startup ecosystem more broadly. Like that's had some really killer outcomes here uh, and and across the Tasman. So here um, you may have heard of the digital tax incentive, which is mm. 120% tax incentive for investing in digital technologies. Like that's like that's a, obviously a huge outcome. And we've been working with the government for a long time on on that mm. um, through to in New Zealand. We've been working with the government to really try and simplify some of the more complex um, payroll legislation called the holidays act, which I spent a lot of time with, which is, like truly hardcore and that's catching a lot of small businesses out and so you know we've worked with the government to actually make legislation changes which will be making their way out which will help to simplify things for businesses over there so that's probably the other really big shift in terms of like how do you keep up with the environment is like through these types of partnerships with government and industry like really starting to well go cool okay well we really need to on behalf of startups and small businesses everywhere really like actually shape that landscape rather than deal with it you know
1: yeah so you've gone uh through this this monumental change internally looking at you know how are you supporting business owners and founders i'm curious um because again before we hit record we we did briefly mention the three core values i I guess that's what we call them that you've kind of that helps guide your decision making Mm. you know on the product for businesses for founders that are using your product um just before we talk about what they are internally what prompted to go we need to rethink this
0: yeah i think that we it's really important to make sure that you're thinking about things in the right way and consistent but more importantly that you're thinking about them in like these consistent and different sort of like frames of reference so you've got to look at the same problem through a few different prisms i think to really make sure that the solutions that you're developing are actually the right solutions and so this is just another framework that you can use to when you're asking yourself the question of is there a need for this? Like, do the customers want it? Does it make sense for it, for us to do it as NYOB? Yes. Yes. Okay, cool. Well, what are the, if that's, if that's true, like what are the kind of attributes that we want to imbue that thing with? And like, what are we, what are we trying to achieve in terms of like the type of product that we want to deliver to the, to the market? And so having some names that we can put on that and kind of like go, is it this, is it this, is it this, is just another way that we can help to make sure that we're kind of going to hit the nail on the head first time, you know.
1: You guys have rethought what the focus is, what the values are. Can you talk us through these three, Were are we calling them, pillars?
0: Mm. We're labeling them as connection, adaptability, and decisive. So, you know, what what does that mean, like, practically? there's a there's a lot of software out there in the world now and you can get software that basically meets any need that you could possibly have as a startup or or a small business and so it's really important that is our way of standing out that we want to actually have these as the things that you really you know that you really feel when you're using the product so when it comes to connected is the the first one like that what that means is that like not just are you connected to the tools that you use in terms of that you understand how they work you understand the value that they give to you and you and you know you're getting a meaningful value exchange with with them in terms of the thing in terms of how they help you to run your business but the the latest data that we have tells us that Australian and New Zealand SMEs they're spending 2.6 billion a year on digital tools, but only 43% of them are saying that, that most of these actually connect well. Hmm and so there's this massive gap here of uh, of these all of these tools that have no interop between them right that are just like a whole bunch of islands that are in your business that you're having to constantly dip in and out of and yeah. like that that creates a load of wasted energy time money like you, you you name it like on average you know these people that are working in startups small businesses you know they're spending a, a full day a week just manually doing tasks that could be automated if the tools that they use in their business just talked to each other and worked together seamlessly
1: yeah uh, this this is kind of hitting home for me oh yeah <laughs> yeah actually I'm, I'm part of that whatever two something billion dollars <laughs> yeah.
0: no, no i think um at, like you're definitely in good company and so that's the that's the that's the mission mm. is to try and figure out like how can we actually help to bring those things together in a more meaningful way that's not just about the exchange of information. Like we really believe that the next evolution of that is, you know, really bringing things together and bringing the experience of using these things together. So rather than having to maintain all of these different softwares and opening this, get that bit of information, close that, open the next thing, get that bit of information, hope that you've got a reasonably good short term memory and then use all of that Mm -hmm. to make a decision. You know, we want to really find a way to bring all of that stuff together to allow you to make really good decisions on, you know, as a as a business or as a startup, like where are you going to put your next bet? And and that's what that decisive point is all about. Like, you know, having that more holistic view of like what's going on in your business. Like, you know, having good data integrity so that you can trust the data you know making sure that you know you have the right data available to you in the right place at the right time and you're not having to do a whole bunch of life admin to figure out like how long you've got before you run out of cash like you know the all of all of those things like bringing it all together and presenting it in such a way that allows you to make really good quality quick decisions on what you're going to do in terms of like running your business mm. that's really what that decisive element is all about is using that connected data to enable good timely high quality decisions because you know that's what's going to help these businesses you know that are starting out really survive that for that you know crucial first you know one or two years mm. um, and then the adaptable piece like that that really is just about us uh, as a business acknowledging that you know when it comes to businesses now more than ever like one size really like don't fit all yeah and so making sure that we have products that are out there in the market that you can tailor them to your specific needs and that it's showing you more of what's relevant to you and, and and less of what isn't like that's all that's about.
1: Having gone through all of that, that kind of a lot of changes happened. Is there anything that's come out the other side that you can you would advise you know customers on, particularly startups, mm-hmm. you know how how to keep up, how to stay relevant, um, how to listen to the market? Any advice there?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that. It's, I'll keep coming back to what we've already, like we've already talked about, but it it really is just quite simply be really clear in your purpose, Uh, be really considered in how you stand out from that, you know, from a big crowd and a a crowd that's getting bigger and bigger, like understand the importance of the culture that you're creating, because that absolutely is going to manifest in the outcomes that you deliver to your customers, stay close to them, pick the right metrics to watch and don't confuse those metrics with uh, with activity. The other advice I'd give would be like use digital solutions wisely. Definitely make sure that you get yourself some good business management early on and don't kind of, you know, don't wing it out of spreadsheets for too long, because really, like any any time that you spend there is time that probably could be better spent somewhere else. And so it's really important to, you know, a lot of, I speak to so many founders are just like, oh yeah, but I'm really early stage. Like I, I'm really, I really don't justify that just yet. And like the reality is, is that software like that's cheap. Mm. And you've got to understand that it's not the capital outlay that's the issue. It's actually like the the stuff that you're not doing because you're spending time shuffling paper. Like that's that's the that's the big lesson there. And I, I still am surprised week in, week out, with you know how many, you know, whether it's small business owners, founders that I talk to that aren't readily adopt adopting digital solutions that could really help them propel their business forward because they think that their size of their business doesn't justify it, and people still fail to see their time as money, mm. and to realise the you know the opportunity cost of you know time not spent optimally. That's fantastic.
1: I love be clear on your purpose and stay close to your customers. That's something that I'm gonna. You stick to the wall right next to my monitor because uh, I it's yeah we could all be better at that
0: No absolutely absolutely like it's a, an ongoing journey for sure but you know I've, it's, uh, it's advice to live by
1: What we're trying to do is create a documentary that will as uh, holistically and as, as true to the actual story as possible create this story that will tell the history of the Australian startup ecosystem. All right, we want founders, investors, academics, policymakers, everyone from every corner of the ecosystem to listen to this story. Anything that you want to share with them? What's, what's top of mind? What, what do they? You think that they founders maybe, or maybe policymakers? What, what do you think they need to hear from you?
0: Uh, I think the, the, something that I talk to founders a lot is the fact that they're businesses too. Mm. And so founders of startups like, really tend to forget that they're small businesses with a cool title. And at the end of the day, like, that same rigor and discipline and support that any small business needs is, is not that different for them. Uh, I think that ego can sometimes come a little bit into play here as well. Like, you know, as a founder, I think that you have to be a little bit delusional to be successful. Like an an overly reasonable, rational person would probably never found a startup or start a small business. You you, kind of have to have that unreasonable, uh, you know, verging on unreasonable belief to really make it happen. But it's a bit of a double-edged sword. Because you can sometimes just get sort of caught up in drinking your own Kool-Aid and forget that you actually have a business that you need to run. You need to make sure that you are managing your costs well and that you've got and that you've, you know, really aware of your cash flow. And so it's really those like fundamental elements of like discipline around running the business. Mm. there are things that so many founders i think don't pay enough attention to and then all of us you know all of a sudden get really caught up in the the glitz and the glamour that they forget that they need to you know nail those fundamentals that that they you know need to in order to in in order to keep going Mm. and then the the on the keep going thing one of the things one of the interesting things that i've observed about the australian startup industry which may be a bit of a hot take but Uh, I think that like we don't we haven't really embraced the fail fast thing here really I don't think like there are a a ton of startups out out there right now like particularly in the fintech space that you know they have these big vivacious founders that really have like have a great pitch and a great spiel but ultimately like you know they have a product that's looking for a customer problem to solve Mm. you know can't find market fit they're not growing volume they're not growing revenue but like they you know they keep limping on because you know they have this borderline delusional self-belief that means that they can't really see the forest for the trees and and and, you know they they keep a they keep a business that really doesn't have a good future limping on you know by either selling it to investors or or tipping in more of their own money like you don't see that culture of the head in the sand cling on to the last moment uh, to the same extent in in other countries i think um, as to as to what you do here so that's why i think that having that rigor around running the business and keeping an eye on those really fundamental business metrics is so important because not just does it enable you to run a business well, but it, it helps you to kind of become grounded back to reality no matter the scale of that you know of that reality.
1: Mm, I love that. And if the person listening to this right now is feeling like we're talking to them, we are. So take, <laughs> take, take this as a wake-up call.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Like failure now is better than failure later. Mm. And it's not the last go. Now
1: for the fun one, and I don't know what your answer is going to be here, but I'm just curious, how do you think the, the emerging kind of crypto, whole NFT world is going to impact startups?
0: I actually think that there's a lot of opportunity in both crypto and NFTs, but definitely not in the way that we're using them today. Mm. So, crypto, for example, uh, it depends how you look at it. Like the uh, the way that people look at it today is pretty much like a commodity. So you got to look at it and go, crypto. Like is it a is it a commodity or is it a currency? I think that the opportunity that crypto has, and you know, you're starting to see this with uh, there's a couple of things that are starting to prove that this is the way that it's going. So the emergence of stable coins and the interest from banks in in, in crypto more broadly. And then also the way that crypto is starting to become kind of tethered to the broader market. You know, we're really seeing crypto falling with the with the broader economy. Mm. In a much more a much more closely linked way than we have before. And mm. so there are a couple of demonstrations on how it's kind of moving a little bit more towards you know, a much more sort of embedded part of the economy rather than this bizarre thing that sits off in its, own, uh, it's off, off in its own economy. But that's kind of as a commodity. But if you think about it as a currency, like the ability to have a universal currency to facilitate global trade, but that's where I think that it has that it has an interesting it has interesting application, um, particularly for small businesses. Like at the moment, for example, it's a really tough time to be an Australian importer. Yeah, you know the dollar falling to sixty nine US cents. Like you know it's a, a you know the Australian importers right now are really vulnerable to shifts in the US dollar and so the idea that you can have a currency that is normalized globally that is less susceptible to those sorts of shifts i think that there's opportunity there but yeah the 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 opportunity i see for crypto really is around you know less reliance on banks and facilitating global trade more than it is investing in it like it's a like it's a commodity yeah nfts is a kind of similar story like I think NFTs applied well could become an entire industry on its own or certainly have the potential to change a bunch of existing industries. So like everything from property, cars, healthcare—you, like you name it. I think that NFTs have potential scope for real change. Think of you buy a house. How do you prove that you own the house? i think that like an nft that says that you own the house and then all of the records that are attached to that you know you could have plans ownership history has you know value over time all of that sort of stuff the ability to have that record you know sort of uncorruptible and in, and in the blockchain i think actually creates some really interesting opportunities as web 3.0 is coming up and i think that there's actually like a Good potential for a lot of you know more traditional industries to actually jump on that mm. um, like it's the same deal for cars like you know imagine that there's a universal ledger that anything to do with your car um, actually is is put into like recently a friend of mine bought a car from a dealership that turned out to be a lemon because it had been in an accident and it had been really poorly repaired like mm. you know imagine imagine if any anyone that's repairing a car has to make this entry into a you know into the and in, you know you've got a token which is the car Car and the token is transferred to the owner and then linked to that uh, a variety of entries to the blockchain of its service history and every repair that it's had and you know that so i think it really does have the potential to change those types of industries like but it's not how it's being used today it's not paying 400,000 for a picture of a monkey to flex on your mates like it's it's yeah. it's you know i think but i think that it does have real applicability and it's actually something i'm pretty excited about
1: yeah that's a great answer i love that Yeah, it's it's all very interesting.
0: Yeah, it really is. It really is. But I really, I have to say, I really hate how it is today. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yep. All these pictures of monkeys, man.
0: Yeah. Crazy. (laughs)
1: Thanks for your time today, Hayden. Appreciate
0: it. No, hey, thank you. No, it's been awesome. I really appreciate it.